this is Josephine from China, and I never listened to I Doubt It with Dolomar because the last time I did, my IQ dropped about 30 points. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 666 of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I'm your host, Evil incarnate Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and equally evil Brittany Page. Well, we had some recommendations to skip the number. Yeah. Yeah. To do something special for the number. It's a spooky episode. We... We we definitely did not go with skipping the episode, but in terms of doing something special for the episode... Yeah, well, Brett number one... Last night on a Zoom family happy hour uh-huh. call, yep, suggested a new intro, mm-hmm. special intro just for this program, just for this special six 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 episode, and I thought about doing it. Oh, I did it. I just didn't do it up front. I wanted to, uh, as Bill O'Reilly would say, "Fuck it, we'll do it live." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So this this is what could have been. Had I uh, wanted to just do it outright and not waste my time... Uh, explaining it. Explaining it for way too long. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show, the spooky, spooky show. I'm your host with traffic and weather to gather out the eights, everybody. Good times had by all in this wacky morning zoo. Good, good times. So yeah. it could have been. It could have been that. I actually like it better, I think, <laughs> than... You think we should just switch to that? I think, well, I probably a copyright issue or something like that, um, but I like it. I don't know. That's got to be public domain, right? I don't know anything about any of that, so you would be the one to know. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a copyright and trademark lawyer over here. Um, I think after 70 I, years, it's in the public domain. That's what I think. Okay. Is that the rule? And since I think that, it must be true. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how I operate. You know, that's the logic a lot of people are using right now. So I, I see that a lot in mm-hmm. these precarious medical times. Mm-hmm. People have different ideas about masks, for instance. Right. I see it is a pan. First of all, we have this like fancy donut shop. Near where we live. Yeah, it's called Sidecar. Sidecar Donuts. We drove by there today on the way to check the mail, and... What do you think, 50 people in line? Holy shit, at least 50 people. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a... It's a freak show with all the different kind of masks, the homemade masks, the medical... I mean, it's 
It's a mess. Well, at least people are wearing the masks for the most part. I would say like 80% of people when yeah, we go out are I, wearing masks. I, I, I'd say that. Yeah. But, but the, what's weird about the masks is they're, it's not a one size fits all. Right. I, do they sell masks that are different sizes? Because well, it, it seems like a mask on me is, can be a goddamn problem because I've got a giant pumpkin head. Well, I mean, so I we, we have different types of masks that we're using that we're kind of like going through. We have cloth masks. We have the um, handkerchiefs that are too big, right? I can't it, figure you that got out. The giant ones, and now we can't make them into masks. So good job. <laughs> um, we we also have like blue. I don't know if they're like they, medical masks, well, they, but they look. That's right. They maybe, look like surgical masks, like yeah. you'd see like on a on a on a on a fucking medical hospital show or something. Yeah, and so there's one for you if and one... If this is any indication how the show's going to go with me not being able to talk, it's going to be a bummer. So there's one for you and one for me, and we had kind of had this concern of, like, when we take them off, how are we going to know or remember which one is yours <laughs> yeah. and which one is mine? And that was quickly solved just by the differences of our facial structures. So I have like the facial dimensions of a triangle. And when I take mine off because of my sharp features, it looks like it was on a bird's beak. You're sharp. You're like Lois Griffin from Family Guy. Exactly. And for you, you have the round face and the round head. Wow. Thank you. And so it looks like it was on like a normal facial structure, not a bird's beak. So I, I, it's just protrudes out. Yours does. Right. So it's, it's, you are a little birdie over there. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> don't start doing that. Um, but it, we, it solved that problem, right? So we know which mask is yours, which mask is mine. Exactly right. But it, it has been strange. Like, we just saw Mormon missionaries walking in the neighborhood. Holy shit. And they didn't have masks on, and that was kind of surprising. And they're not out for a little stroll. They're out knocking on door to door to spread the good news of the Jesus. Well, I talked to one of my friends who is also a Mormon, and she said that they have recently been approved to, I forgot the wording that she used, go out and offer like outdoor assistance or whatever. Well, that's um, something but, that that's something Mormon missionaries do. They offer to do chores and shit. No, I know. I'm just trying to look at outdoor service is what she called it. Oh, right. And so I think that that's probably what it is, is like the chores that they help yeah. people with. Out there in their dress clothes, doing the, doing the, the leaf gather, gathering and shit. Yeah, because she said she doesn't think they're going door to door. But just not having the masks on is kind of strange because it is like a social norm now. And it's pretty, it changed pretty quickly, right? Yeah, maybe not where you live, everybody, but here it is a social norm. Yeah, if you're not wearing a mask in public, you look like a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people look at you like you're yeah. in, a in, dick. In, in Orange County, it's a requirement if you're considered an essential worker. It's also a lot of the stores now are posting signs oh, saying yeah. you can't even come in unless you have a mask on. Yeah, the the local grocery store here, it's like a little mom and pop shop grocery store. Uh, that's what it is there. Like they're mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so. I that's been a positive development. One thing that is also a positive development recently is those stimulus checks went out for 
many Americans, right? I'm sure many Americans also haven't gotten theirs yet for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe the direct deposit wasn't set up. If you if you haven't gotten yours and you are hoping to get it, make sure you have filed your either 2018 or 2019 taxes. And then you can also go to irs.gov and there's a button at the yeah, top that says luck. check my payment status. Good luck with that. And the, you can enter. The down. It's been fucked for, for about a week. Well, I went there yesterday and it was fine. It worked for you? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So, um, Also, <laughs> keep trying if it's down, right? Don't just give up on your life. Jesse D over here. You're, you're right. You're right. I, I just, it's a bummer because I know people are counting on that money. And then when they don't get it, they don't, it, the website should fucking work is what I'm saying. Absolutely. It, but sure. you're right. I shouldn't be such a downer. Well, I mean, just try it. Just see Feline if it's working. AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> What's that character? What's that character on Debbie uh, Downer? Debbie Downer. Mm-hmm. She's a da 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 and a da da da. Yeah. Rachel Here Dratch. Here comes Debbie Downer. Rachel Dratch is <laughs> she's fantastic. Yeah. So there's been a lot of advice that's being posted, and this this Facebook post kind of went viral surrounding the stimulus checks. Oh, and I, are you talking about the fucking Dave Ramsey thing? Yeah, it's it says truth repost from a Dave Ramsey financial group, which I thought would be beneficial, and everyone's been sharing this, and it's like a numbered list of things that it's just like guidance, right? And Dave Ramsey's that financial guru, Jesus guy, yeah, evangelical Christian, yeah lives in Tennessee, has a lot of money, it, and tells the, poor people what to do with their money. It's the white privilege financial power hour is what it is with this guy. I mean, I don't know a lot about him. I'm sure I'm sure he gives good advice, but based on this post, I just I want to talk specifically about my issues well, with this. Before you read the post, I just went to his page to uh-huh. see what kind of other shit he's doing. Like his Facebook page, his Twitter page. His, yeah, his Facebook page. So this is like this may or may not be from him because it just It says is, it's from a financial group. Right. So I went to his verified Facebook page and he is advocating that people, he's giving the advice not to take the Small Business Administration PPP loans. Don't do that. Debt is not the answer. Like, (laughs) are you, we are in uh, just unbelievably hard times right now. Mm -hmm. Unemployment has spiked to levels that have never, I don't want to be Donald Trump here, but we've never seen from from zero to fucking 100 miles an hour overnight, and this asshole's telling people, that is not the answer. Okay, fucking rich millionaire guy. Ugh. So this post that everyone is sharing, it, it has very sensible ideas, right? It says to tenants, if if you are not having to pay your rent, right? Like your landlord's giving you a break and you get this check, go ahead and pay as much of your rent as you can, even if you're not supposed to, just so you don't have the balance building up in the back, yeah. right, that we've been talking about, which, yeah, that's that's good advice, right? Same thing with your mortgage. If if you, you know, don't have to make a payment on your mortgage this month, uh, pay as much as you can anyway, right, so that it's not building up, right, so you're still making the payments. Uh, same with the electricity, okay? All, we get it. We get the point here. It goes through the list. Yeah. But then at the end is where I really take issue, right? And this is what it says. The real problem is many who will get the stimulus check won't pay their bills and then will be crying and wailing, saying, they evicted me, they cut off my power, they repossessed my car, all while you're broke and carrying that empty purse you bought with your stimulus check. Pay your bills. There's always free cheese in a mousetrap. Okay? Ugh. 
So the implication here being that someone who is struggling to make ends meet is going to get a $1,200 stimulus check, and instead of paying their rent, instead of paying their electricity, instead of purchasing food for their family, they're going to go buy a purse. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got this free money. Oh, it's burning a hole in my pocket. Let's go do something frivolous. And this kind of goes to the talking down to poor people that regularly happens from people in power, right? As though poor people have limited cognitive capacity, right? Like they can't make good decisions. Um, I mean, when I said that statement, I was reminded of cognitive load, right? And the theory surrounding poverty, where when you are in poverty, it actually is difficult to make decisions that are good for you in the long term because you're so concerned about survival in the short term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that theory doesn't mean that poor people are going out and then buying purses. It just means that they struggle to create a savings, for example, because the future doesn't exist to them. They live day to day. Yeah, They're also, trying to make ends meet poor, each day. Poor people aren't poor because they buy purses. Right. They're poor because they don't make enough money because they have a shitty fucking job. Get the fuck out of here. Well, and of course, we're we're speaking generally, right? I'm sure, of course, there are people who do not manage their man- money effectively, and that gets them into a hole or gets them further into a hole, right? So that's why I said a lot of these tips are good, but I don't like the condescending tone at the end where a lot of people are going to complain when they're getting kicked out, and then they'll be carrying their Gucci bag and being like, oh, why am I being uh, yeah. kicked out of my house? Look, that's not how things work. Obviously, we're speaking generally, but I don't know anybody but for their fancy purse would be middle class. <laughs> like, oh, look at Jerry over there. That guy would be he'd be fucking rolling in it. His 401k would be just just f- overflowing with cash dollars if it weren't for the jewelry he buys. Get the mm-hmm. fuck. Come on. Goddamn fucking Dave Ramsey dipshit. Well, and again, this was from like a financial page of his. So it could have been someone who just follows his his advice that wrote it. We don't know. But it's making the rounds on Facebook and I don't like it. Well, it's Dave Ramsey-esque at the least. Right. Because it supports that image of poor people as they're only poor because they make bad decisions rather than let's look at let's look at the system that has created the problem and supports the problem continuing right so fewer of those posts and more posts about dismantling the system and electing people to power who know what it's like to be poor which brings us all right which brings (laughs) us to a beautiful transition into some some phone calls uh last time you were talking about something very similar except on the other side of it about people being disengaged politically and um it resonated with people and we got some phone calls Brittany page Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Gilly with a hard G from Colorado. Um, in regards to uh, Brittany talking about people saying that they're not political, um, I used to say that too. Um, I wonder how many people who say that are white because these things don't affect them. Um, not until I started to... Well, not, I'm originally from Wyoming. Not until I left Wyoming did I start to see the wider world that was out there, um, but also in coming out uh, and being a queer, non-binary person, um, the realization that 
people are blinded by their white privilege so hard. Um, and that's how they have the luxury to not be political. Uh, just a thought. Thank you guys. Love you so much. I hope you're staying safe. I know you are. Um, we're staying safe too. Stay home so the rest of us can do our essential healthcare and whatnot. Bye. It, it is, um, I think it's the main thing that, that, uh, catapulted me out of conservatism as an attitude and a philosophy is the recognition that other people don't go through the fucking world like Jesse Dollimore does. Other people don't experience things, don't have the lucky fucking breaks that I've had because they are different. They look different. They were raised different. They view the world differently because of those, those, uh, those experiences. And uh, it, it is... She said it right, that it is a very entrenched, very difficult thing to break free from. And it's the thing that I really try to, to impart on people the rare times that I do have Facebook interactions. Um, because it's, for me, it was the key. And I hope that that is the, it, maybe it unlocks the same door for somebody else, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that we've talked about it quite often on the show, particularly surrounding the issue of privilege, because when people hear that word, they can be very turned off by it, right? It can kind of shut down the conversation because people often feel like they are being accused of having privilege when when they look at their own life they don't see it as one that is privileged, right? They wouldn't yeah. identify it as one that's privileged. But I think when you when you really get down deep with people, they're able to see the ways in which they have benefited when other people haven't. And they don't they don't really understand that the use of the word privilege isn't to say that they've had just a happy life with no issues or concerns. It, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's about the lucky breaks that you've been given that you didn't necessarily choose, right? That were just gifted to you and being able to recognize those, right? Whether you want to call it luck, whether you want to call it privilege, whether you want to call it a benefit, use whatever word you want. <laughs> but please use a word that helps you understand what it is that you have yeah, and, and enables you to to see the luck, privilege, or benefits that you have to allow you to be more sympathetic to other people. It is. It reminds me of that study that was done that applicants with a black-sounding name, I'm using air quotes there, applicants with a black-sounding name, like some, ins I'm not going to name a percentage, but it was an insane amount of percentage of that they just don't even get called back. When someone with equal or even uh, less experience on their resume... Um, they don't, or the application or whatever, they get called because they've got a white name. Mm -hmm. So, a white sounding name. Mm -hmm. it, it just, and that's, that's an element of privilege. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and there's a, there's a million points of light that, that go in that same direction. But, but Gilly is right in that people often say that they're not political because they haven't had these personal experiences with being oppressed. And so it doesn't really resonate for them or they don't really understand that yeah. through politics, these changes occur, right? Through political activism, through voting and putting people into positions of power that can use their voice for good and actually make changes for marginalized populations. Like we have the power to do that. And without people understanding that they're capable of making that change, they're capable of doing that, 
we're we're not going to be able to push things forward. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, one more call on the the same topic. Hey guys, it's Laura from Buffalo. I just wanted to sound off on what Brittany was saying um, about how frustrating it is when you hear people say that they aren't political. Um, so I just wanted to add to it. Um, I think that when people say they aren't political, it's because they have lived their entire life with one privilege or another, so much so that they aren't political because politics has never affected something deeply in their life enough for them to care. And for some reason, they haven't developed enough empathy for other human beings in order to see past the tip of their own nose. Um, and I just want people to think about that. When people say that, it's because they've never had to care enough that something is going to affect them or affect someone that's close to them. Um, you know, it's... it's. I don't know. I just think that privilege is a big part of it when people say that they, quote unquote, aren't political privilege and the ability to have empathy. And unfortunately, not everybody has real and true empathy for others. Um, I struggle sometimes with having too much empathy where I don't sleep at night, but um I have chosen over the past few years of my life to acknowledge all of the privileges that I have grown up with and that I have um, in order to become more political and be there for other people that need me um, and need me to vote the correct way uh, for leaders that create policies that are good for everyone, not just for me or for my own interests. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to add to that a little bit. Um, Hope you guys are doing well. Bye. Thank you, Laura, for that call. And yes, I think even thinking about my own personal experience that I've always been very interested in politics from a young age and insufferable in arguing with people about politics <laughs> from a young age uh, in a very staunch way Yeah, where I thought I was right about everything from the very beginning. Um, and a lot of that was because I grew up a poor kid and... I was living in Idaho, which is a red state surrounded by a lot of Republicans who mm -hmm. and listen, I mean, we were all kids, right? Like in high school, we're arguing politics. And the, the unique thing about that was my parents, it's it's tough to really pin them down on issues because the, the main thing that they cared about was racism. Right. And so when I'm thinking about their political views, they just wanted to vote for racists, really. Like, yeah. my, I, the only politician I think my parents ever really liked was Pat Buchanan. Yeah. And we actually, like, I met him. We went to, a, a like, an event where he was speaking one time. And that was the only politician. But would they have been able to articulate that they were Republicans? I don't know, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. tough for me to pin down their political views. But when I would speak to kids in my class, argue with them, I, <laughs> I would just be hearing points that they're regurgitating from their parents. Of course. Right. And that's how most kids are. But I think for me, I had to kind of figure things out on my own. That doesn't necessarily mean I was more right. I mean, I look back on the things that I would say when I was like 16 in these debates, and it's kind of horrifying. <laughs> we don't need to get into some of it. But um, 
because of those early childhood experiences of being poor, that helped me be interested in in how to help other people that were in that yeah, situation. It's a good it's a good baseline. Yeah, and and like Laura's saying, I think that's really where the wake up call comes, right? If you have a personal experience, that's the driving factor, which sucks. Right? Yeah. It sucks that it has to be that way. Um and like you're saying, I mean your evolution has been tremendous to use Donald Trump's word going from a Republican to now registered in the Democratic Party and for now registered as a Democrat yes we'll get into that a little bit later (laughs) (laughs) but it's the same thing for you right where your personal experiences the people that you encountered that was really how the change started to happen yeah yeah and so for people who aren't interested in politics they aren't invested in it they don't see the benefit It sucks that they're probably going to feel that way until they have some sort of personal experience that gives them a wake-up call. The benefit, though, is that they can just meet somebody who convinces them, right? Because we've all had those people who have pushed us over the edge in our beliefs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, um, Laura and Gilly. And we have one more. And this... It kind of rolls right along the same thing that if you if you don't if you do have the privilege to not be politically involved I I, I don't think I'm talking to anybody in this who would be listening to this because you're 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 pretty politically involved if you're listening to this fucking show but it in, it it trickles down that that uninvolvement would that be the word disinvolvement mm. lack mm. of involvement there we go <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts members in several different groups, uh, seniors uh, being among them. So from the Republican Party that spread lies and stoked fears about non-existent death panels in Obamacare because they would kill the grandparents, comes a demand to reopen the economy, even while they acknowledge that deaths will increase, especially in the senior citizen age groups. So killing Obamacare killing the greatest generation is bad, but sacrificing the greatest generation for the economy is good. So rising deaths is necessary because, you know, it's the economy. So thousands more will die, but hey, it's the economy. So discard the seniors and medically vulnerable because, you know, they are expendable. Well, I'm a senior citizen, and I call bullshit. I call bullshit, too. It is, I don't know if it's because I'm more aware of it or it's actually swung so radical the other way, but it is a remarkable being able to witness in real time amazing hypocrisy on the part of the Republican Party. The, the death panel thing being chief among them. That uh, Obamacare is going to bring death panels where a panel of experts will decide who gets to live and who gets to die. We'll have to ration health care. And now it's like like he said, absolutely, they are choosing, yes, people will die, but it's worth it. I mean, isn't the power of partisanship just, it's remarkable. Fucking stunning. It's something that we talk about quite often, but it it's never, <laughs> I'm just, I'm never going to be. I, Not shocked by it? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it even in a pandemic, we have partisanship that is just ripping people apart and f- causing them to just lose all capacity for reason. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? All consistency across their arguments in their lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, which we're going to get to on the, in the first story of Dollamocracy after the break, which is all these ding-dongs who are spread across all kinds of Western states, even mid- Midwestern states, protesting. Mm-hmm. It just, what the fuck are you doing? The, the give me liberty or give me death protesters? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, oh, this is worth dying for. Oh, all right, dude. You do you with your AK-47 strapped to your back, fucking jackass. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We have several new Patreon supporters to read here. Yes. We have Darren. Darren. Paula. Paula. Josephine. Josephine. Tyrone. Tyrone. Colyon. Colyon. Keith. Keith. Bobby. Bobby. And John. John. And then we also have a PayPal donation here to thank from Mary. Mary. Mary B. Thank Mary you so B. much, Mary B. Fantastic. So thanks to each and every one of you for continuing to support the show, uh, especially in the midst of a pandemic. We, Jesse and I, were recently talking about how we feel very lucky to be in the position that we are. I am still employed as an essential worker, and we have the YouTube channel and podcast, and we've we've been able to be okay. Yeah. Right? And in some ways, some guilt comes up for that, right? Because we feel for people who have lost their jobs, who are finding it difficult to pay their bills, pay their rent, and... We hope that we can, through the use of our voice here, offer some entertainment, right? Maybe not for Andy, but for other people <laughs> who <laughs> who uh, need a break, right? And we've we've heard a lot of feedback from people that when they listen to the show, that's what they get, right? Is a little break from reality and... You know, they get to laugh occasionally at our dumb asses, and that's a good time for everybody. So it's a tough time. Speak for yourself over there. It's a tough time. We feel lucky that we get to do this, right? And and we're thankful to each of you who supports us and allowing us to do it. So the, the other way that you could support the show that we talk about, and I would encourage you to do so, especially in these times where you're quarantined and you're bored at home. So go pop on over to the old iTunes, the old Apple Podcast app, and write a rating, a rate a review, along with a a rating of a of a level that you feel is is commensurate with the value that we provide on a scale of one star to five stars. Nah. I, I think it's easy, right, to just pop on there and give us a review. We've gotten a few, right? The guilt has been working. The mm. guilt has set in. And some people have actually gone on and reviewed the show. Yeah. Very nice. Well, the, the only reason I really, it it, it kind of sticks with me is because I know how roughly how many people listen to the fucking show. And it's not like 400 or whatever, however many goddamn. It is not. R- reviews we have. Right. And now I, I understand not everybody is, I'm whining here, but not everybody is on the iTunes. A lot of people listen with their Google phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fuck me, I guess. They're very dismissive of the Google phone. Yeah. 
some animosity coming out those aren't real phones oh they're not real that's an interesting take yeah only only the iphone oh (laughs) i don't fucking know i don't give a shit anyway uh we'd love to hear from you as well 657-464-7609 you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone your actual smartphone not those google phones to i doubt it at dollamore.com moving on Dalemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Before we talk about the very important protests that are happening across the nation, the life-changing, very principled protests that are happening. Patriots. We were supposed to uh, be in North Carolina right now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were supposed to fly out yesterday, and we were going to be there until the 21st. And We are not there right now. We are not there <laughs> because of the pandemic. Yeah. We had to cancel the trip. We were going to be speaking for a, an atheist skeptic group there, and it, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely sucks because I was looking forward to meeting local listeners there and eating delicious treats and drinking some tasty beers. And those things aren't happening. It is a weird, uh, we, we talk about this all the time, but it is a very odd time that so many things the ripple effects of this that go, and it's not just like just affecting us in our region. It's, everywhere right it's it's a it's a fucking what a time to be alive Brittany page i know i saw a tweet from chrissy teigen she was like can anyone tell me if these times are certain or uncertain because no one's telling me that and also are we going to get through this together or not together can someone (laughs) explain to me (laughs) i thought it was sometimes she is worth following yes other times she's just a fan of the kardashians Yep, All that, right. that does happen sometimes. <laughs> so let's get back on track here. Protests. They are. Th- this is this hits home for me because I have a family member mm-hmm. that is one of these ding dongs, mm-hmm. and not an estranged family member. I have a family member that I l- really, really am worried about right now mm-hmm. for him and his family because he's going to these fucking dick face protests at the Idaho State Capitol mm-hmm. where there there are. I don't want maybe not hundreds, but maybe hundreds of people out there. Maybe two hundred. We we watched that video on Facebook yesterday. Mm-hmm. There was probably two hundred people out there, right? With Justin Boise. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is happening in Michigan. This is happening all over the country. There's that photo that went viral of these like they have she, ladies wa- waving her flag, and a couple of them have like the 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 anonymous mask on guy fox or whatever Uh they all have trump hats on and shit and they're protesting the shutdown they're protesting the social distancing guidelines that are rational and reasonable and necessary to flatten the fucking curve and prevent people from dying and these assholes are out there they're ass to elbow too they're not social distancing right they are none of them have a mask on Mm mm-hmm they're all like spooning one another. Yeah, not just in this photo, but in these actual protests. Yeah. In Michigan, where they they created a traffic jam on the route to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because my, 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 my liberty, y'all. 
don't tread on me with their fucking Trump flags. Well, and I, I'm interested because you, you talked about your family member. Yeah. And I know that you have talked about it in the past specifically that you have been very sympathetic to libertarian type views, right? Yes. That, that they still at times resonate with you, not in a way that you will like vote based on libertarian yeah, principles, but, but, but that you're sympathetic to the view. So can you maybe speak to some of that? Are, do you understand where these people are coming from? The give me liberty, give me death thing. I do. Listen, if it was, if it wasn't a transferable, invisible virus that now almost 40,000 Americans have died from, I would, I would, you know, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's the same class of people. I don't mean class like social class, but political class of people who who protest fucking vaccines for their kids because the government's not going to tell me to fucking do what I'm going to blah, blah, blah with my kids. Mm-hmm. It's if it wasn't about a virus or a disease, it wouldn't matter to me so much. But because they're putting everybody else at risk. Right. We absolutely have have the political. um power mm-hmm. and and responsibility to create a safe society for one another and part of that is making sure that this virus this is modern times folks we know washing hands when when my my family member likes to quote like bastiat and and all these political philosophers from like france when the, when the they, no one knew what a virus was then these people are putting everyone in danger because they're not just protesting at the Capitol without a mask, asshole to elbow. They're also going to the grocery store and they're carrying with them the same disregard for the situation in their entire life when they bump into people. Well, and this is being encouraged from by conservatives, right? Conservatives keep talking about the risk to the economy, how everyone needs to get back to work, how we need to open up the economy, how people are suffering, right? You hear Donald Trump stand behind his podium during the daily press briefing, and he kind of pulls a Dr. Drew, right? Where Dr. Drew um, apologized for the things that he said in downplaying the risks associated with COVID-19, but in the same breath would say, but I told you to listen to Dr. Fauci as though that somehow like validates yeah. that he was saying incorrect things all along by pointing to the correct person to talk to or listen to. Well, he does. He also does that thing where he reads from the statement, all the stuff that is valuable information and then goes on Twitter and tweets liberate Liberate Michigan. That's what I'm saying. Liberate he, Virginia. He does that at the press briefing, too, where he will talk about what Dr. Fauci says, talk yeah. about how we need to follow the recommendations, and then start talking about how this is so serious and we really need to open up the country. And so what's the point in even talking about Dr. Fauci and talking about yeah. following the recommendations when really all Donald Trump is worried about is the economy. Yeah. And like you said, he's tweeting those things. Liberate Michigan. Liberate Minnesota. By the way, it's only liberate Democrat states because it's a political calculation. And because it's political, it is it is one of the most maddening things about Donald Trump that he doesn't give a fuck about actual human lives. He is whipping these people up into a protest and what it results in is these protests across the country at different state capitals. 
And more Americans are protesting stay-at-home orders. And now even some business owners are defying the government, promising to reopen as early as today. Here's ABC's Kimberly Brooks with those details. This morning, workers across the country pushing back. We want to go back to work. We need to get this going again. It's time. I'm a free American and we need to start freaking acting like it. From Texas to Virginia, protests erupting as states extend stay-at-home orders. In Minnesota, people taking to the streets, in cars and on foot, toting signs like, you can't quarantine the Constitution, and all jobs are essential. And in Michigan, local law enforcement is now joining the resistance, with at least four sheriff's departments saying they will no longer enforce the governor's stay-at-home order. Writing, while we understand her desire to protect the public, we question some restrictions that she has imposed as overstepping her executive authority. Meanwhile, some store owners say they plan to get back to business no matter what. I'm fully aware of the risks that I'm taking. In Alabama, this barbershop owner is opening his doors, saying his livelihood depends on it. I've thought it through completely, not taking this lightly. And in Ohio, the owner of a racetrack says he's reopening now. I didn't plan for a pandemic. I, I never I never put money away for the rainy day. We are opening. Even though Ohio's governor says the state will slowly begin reopening on May 1st. Summit Motorsports Park is, is not going to wait um, for... Uh, Dr. Fauci and and wait for Amy Acton and wait for Mike DeWine um, because none of them even know I exist and none of them really care. Guys, and now one Ohio business owner is actually suing the state's health department, claiming businesses were never given a way to challenge whether or not they were essential and allowed to stay open. What is so strange about these fucking ding-dongs like this guy who owns this racetrack that's going to open up? Well, I'm not going to wait for Dr. Fauci. I'm not going to wait for day but day. You're not going to wait for the virus. They're not willy-nilly arbitrarily making these guidelines. It's based on research and study d- data. It, it's not to harm you because they don't even know who I am, you fucking idiot. What? Well, I just don't get it. I don't. I don't understand the mindset that if you're listen, if you're going to protest, if you're going to buck, buck up against the system, you're. Do, this is just the wrong time, the wrong issue for your your liberty and waving your fucking Trump flag along with your goddamn um, "Don't tread on me" flag. You're not being tread upon. Well, and so I think the imagery that we're seeing with the with the po- protests across the country, this was coordinated. Absolutely was coordinated. This is not something that just popped up because people are so passionate. I think a lot of people are looking at these protests wondering, dear God, how many of these people exist? And they are the vast minority, right? Most Americans support the stay-at-home orders because most Americans understand how serious this is. And in fact, in a recent Quinnipiac poll, 81% of voters said that they would support a stay-at-home order on a national level. Yeah. 81%. Yeah. That's pretty substantial. You, you you don't see 81% of really anything anytime and, on polls like that. And Dr. Anthony Fauci has a 78% approval rating in this Quinnipiac poll as well. So he's highly respected yeah. on this issue. When he gives his guidance, 
Americans, by and large, trust him and his guidance, right? And by the way, Trump's approval ratings are fucking... They're going lower and lower and lower. Well, and in this Quinnipiac poll, they actually asked people to give Donald Trump a grade, A, A, B, C, D, and F. And what's surprising is 25% gave him an A. Well, you know, he's... The, he's but thirty one percent gave him an F. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave with that. About thirty, <laughs> about thirty five percent of people really think he's fucking just the bee's knees, Brittany Page. Yeah, you know he's got a ninety percent approval rating among Republicans, and that's those people. Yeah, I mean, what's terrifying about this, and you you alluded to it with the guns being strapped on people at the protests, is Donald Trump tweeted also liberate Virginia and save your great Second Amendment. It is under siege. You know, for Donald Trump to be ratcheting up the rhetoric on this issue is pretty terrifying, especially when you think about people like the Bundys, right? Eamon Bundy and these radical goofballs who dangerous fucking people. I mean, it's it's not it's not good for the president to be in this time ratcheting up the fear and angst in the populace. I mean, it's just terrifying that we have a leader who, rather than trying to come out, offer hope, offer solutions, trying to problem solve whether or not someone's a Republican or Democrat doesn't matter, trying to get through the pandemic, is instead tweeting this bullshit that is making things worse. Inflaming the situation, inflaming the situation that does not need help being inflamed. No. Tensions are high. Anxiety is high. Already, just naturally by virtue of the fact that we are in uncharted territory for anybody who's alive right now. I mean, there are a handful of people who were alive for the last the last pandemic, the Spanish flu in 1918, but very few. Well, and I also want to say, going back to my point about looking at these protesters and viewing them as a minority, right? People who feel this way, yeah. they're in the minority. That same Quinnipiac poll that found 81% of registered voters supported a theoretical nationwide stay-at-home order, 68% of Republicans polled said yeah. the same. Yeah, right. They're among, they're among the group too. So, these people that are out there protesting, they're not they're not uh what's the word that I'm looking for? <laughs> I don't. I'm trying to be careful here. <laughs> they're not included in that. Uh, what, what are you? They they're just not representative of all Republicans. I guess yeah, I'll say that. Sure, right? sure, sure. Th- these are people who have radical views. Yeah, they are. Well, they are radical. But this is also. It's the kind. It's it goes along the lines of the, the same thing that I've talked about. That Donald Trump kind of gave voice and gave confidence in the political system to a whole new group of people who were never really engaged before. And now they feel like Donald Trump represent he he's given them a voice. The dumb people. He's given morons uh, all the confidence in the world to think that their opinions are on par with Anthony fucking Fauci. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a sad sad thing. And and, and further We'll transition to the next topic here because it rolls right along. Their their opinion is also given weight by all these idiots who go on Fox News, like Dr. Oz and Dr. fucking Phil, who go on Fox News, Dr. fucking Drew. They go on Fox News and then the next day have to apologize for the ridiculous fucking thing they said. Let's start with Dr. Oz, Mr. 
thoracic thoracic heart surgeon who brings in a rake uh, a reiki fucking practitioner that waves their hands over the open chest of someone he's operating on he's a goddamn kook he's touting green coffee pills as a miracle using the word miracle weight loss solution he's a kook he's a quack and he went on Fox News this week talking about how we need to get the, the, the kids back in school. It's a real appetizing opportunity because uh, it's only going to increase the mortality by 2 or 3%. People are going to die, and he's advocating that we got to get the kids back in school. And real doctors, real respected people like Sanjay Gupta, uh, they have something to say about it. Now is CNN chief medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay uh, Gupta, Sanjay, I want to start uh, with a clip okay. from um, Dr. Oz on Fox. He was uh, talking about the trade-offs that need to happen uh, in order for the U.S. to try to go back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, take a listen to, to this little clip, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Okay. Let's start with things that are really critical to the nation where we think we might be able to open without getting into a lot of trouble. Yeah, I tell you, schools are a very appetizing opportunity. Uh, I just saw a nice piece in the Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us 2 to 3% in terms of total mortality. And, you know, that's any life is a life loss. But to get every child back into a school where they're safely being educated, being fed, uh, and making the most out of their lives with a theoretical risk on the backside, uh, it might be a trade-off some folks would consider. All right, so Dr. Oz is basically saying there, I don't think he was referring to, because I looked at the Lancet, and I, I don't think he's saying, talking about uh, 2 to 3% mortality uh, for the entire country, which would, of course, be millions and millions of people. I think he's talking about this one Lancet study that talked about how the redu that, that uh, closing schools only reduced deaths 2 to 4%, but that's still that's theoretically right. thousands of lives. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a a trade-off that 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 he's describing. It's a tough trade-off. I think a lot of people first heard that and probably interpreted him as thinking two to three percent of either the country or even children's lives. You know, fifty-six million people, uh, kids rather, are in schools. I think that you know the better way to sort of I think this is what he meant. I haven't talked to him, but you know the model suggests that maybe some sixty thousand people will lose their lives sadly to this uh, disease. Uh, how much are we gaining by the various measures that we're putting in place? Uh, the closing of schools, they say, may be contributing only to 2 to 3 percent of that. So that, as you point out, Jake, would be about um, 1,200 to 1,800 people, potentially. Again, not children, but people within the country. Every life is, is a life, you know, and, and, you know, what is the trade-off in terms of starting to reopen things? I, it's, it, that's a big one. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, that was the data that came out of Lancet. I'm sure Dr. Oz thought about that before he said that. But that is obviously a big one. But these are the questions that are going to have to be decided. If when we reopen, Jake, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we say, OK, we are absolutely free and clear. We can guarantee that no one will get infected. No one will get sick. And no one might sadly die from this after we reopen. The virus is still out there. It's still circulating. Until we have a vaccine, I think, you know, that's, that's going to be the, the, these constant trade-offs that we're making. Right, but it does seem to a lot of experts that I've spoken with uh, that the United States, for the most part, uh, citizens, governors, et cetera, President Trump uh, pushing for it as well in terms of the social distancing guidelines, uh, staying at home in some places, uh, and that it has been to a degree successful. The curve is being flattened. 
Um, but that doesn't mean, according to these health experts, that all of a sudden we say, okay, it's worked. We've, we've uh, avoided the worst and we rush back to work because we still don't have the testing capacity. And if all of a sudden we just willy-nilly, as Dr. Fauci says, flip the switch and go back to normal, then the number's just going to surge again. Th- that's absolutely right. I mean, th- th- that's the thing. I think people, sometimes it's hard to, to prove a negative, Jake. I mean, we, we see these numbers of people who are, who are likely to die, you know, the models, what they suggest, and it's tragic. But to your point, without, without these measures, things that we are going through in this country that we've never experienced before as a society, they've had an impact. I mean, the initial model suggested, look, 40 to, 70, uh, 40 to 60% of the country could become infected, 150 million people plus. Uh, and, you know, the, the fatality rate, you know, uh, even if it was closer to 1%, which some suggested it might be, you know, you're starting to talk about, you know, millions of people, a million and a half people that would have died. Now we're talking about 60,000. It's still, you know, a, a staggering number of people. But these measures are largely what done it. We don't have a therapeutic. We don't have a vaccine. So why did the numbers drop like this from, you know, in the millions to in the tens of thousands? It's because of these measures. And now as we think about reopening, we're going to have to say, how much did this play a part in reducing that? How much did closing schools play a part of that? How much did closing large venues play a part in that? How much did you know, closing these businesses play a part in that? And all of those are going to have to be analyzed and they're going to be evaluated probably as part of you know, any discussion of reopening along with many other things. But that's, 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 you're absolutely right. That is the, the, I'm sure, the decision matrix that is happening right now. So there's been a lot of criticism for CNN recently, and I... I About what? Like their combativeness in press briefings, or...? No, I mean, there's just always criticism about, like, they had the Mark Zuckerberg on and Priscilla Chan. Uh, People were criticizing that to Hmm. talk about the coronavirus, even though she's a doctor. And um, there's just people always hating on CNN and and the choices that they make. And well, we I've hated on them. Yeah. I mean, some of some of it's legitimate. Right. But I I think that this is a clear juxtaposition. Absolutely. When it comes to Fox News and the doctors that they have on. Sometimes medical doctors, sometimes not. Sometimes even people who don't have licenses to practice, but still call themselves doctors. Doctor Phil, and um, we're getting to him. And <laughs> and and did you see? Did you hear all of the context that was given there? The lack of certainty about everything. The lack of certainty. The amount of context. Right, Doctor Oz, when he was talking, he spoke very flippantly, referencing this this study in the Lancet, right, and gave it no context. Just referenced a study as though that somehow makes what he's about to say more authoritative. Yeah, right? exactly. And you hear Sanjay Gupta really getting in deep to what that study said, what he thinks Doctor Oz possibly meant. He doesn't really know, right? The point of all this is we shouldn't even be having to have this conversation. Dr. Oz shouldn't be put on TV to talk about these issues. Yeah, thanks a lot, fucking Oprah. Especially if he's not willing to do what Sanjay Gupta just did, which is give the the context and really go into detail about what he does mean so that people don't have to have an eight-minute segment wondering what the fuck he meant when he went on TV and opened up his mouth. And then issues a 45-second fucking apology, half-assed apology. Right. That doesn't... That doesn't get widely circulated. Of course, because that happens on Twitter all the time, right? A tweet will go viral. It will contain inaccurate information. And then someone adds a, a second follow-up tweet to correct it. Yeah. And that one has like 10 likes. Well, specifically with Dr. Phil, by the way, Oprah gave us both of these fucking assholes. 
Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. Thanks a lot. Fucking woo quackery. Um, Dr. Phil, this happened. He went on Laura Ingram's show. Uh, Dr. Dr. Oz was on with Hannity, but Laura Ingram had Dr. Phil on. And I want to talk about this really quick. Can I talk about it before you play the clip? Yeah, sure. Because people have been calling him a psychiatrist. He's not a psychiatrist. He's a clinical psychologist. He was. He was a... Well, he... Yes. Not he, licensed anymore. He's not licensed. He hasn't been licensed. He lost his license. It didn't l- lapse. He lost it because of an inappropriate non-sexual relationship with a prior client. Well, he had, he had. it looks like, a few ethics concerns. Um, oh, really? But he surrendered his license to practice in 2006. And he hasn't held a license to practice in, in any other state he surrendered it in Texas and he hasn't yeah. had one in any other state since 2006. And he's still going on TV, calling himself Dr. Phil and giving advice to people. Yeah. Well, people think people think that he's like a doctor doctor, too. Right. So he's he's not and he's not a psychiatrist, again, clinical psychologist. So he's not a medical doctor. He doesn't have medical training. And here he is going on TV talking about things he should not be talking about. Yeah, because he's not an authority. More than 90% of Americans are still living under stay-at-home orders. That might change with the president's new reopening. But it's meant to spread the halt and halt the spread of the virus, excuse me. But the economic devastation being caused by these lockdowns may be creating a new pandemic, one of mass anxiety and helplessness. I don't have any income coming in. I don't get any food stamps. Um, So it's just hard to get you know, any help right now. I have a 12 year old son at home and stuff like that. And with the whole coronavirus going on, it makes me stress more. So when I stress more, I smoke more because I'm pregnant with twins. If we were to get evicted, I don't know what we would do. Now, this is heartbreaking. And you hear these stories all day long. Now we have 22 million people out of work and millions of business owners are facing insolvency. So how many of our fellow Americans are feeling stressed and panicked like the women you just saw? Joining me now is Dr. Phil McGraw, psychologist, author, and host of Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, thanks so much for being on with us. Uh, I think this this isn't part of the calculation um, of you know the, the bending the curve and all of those graphs that we see, and they're they're very interesting. I'm not saying they're not important, but those comments aren't taken into consideration when we look at those graphs. Well, Laura, they never are. And thank you for having me on. And thank you for giving a voice to this because it's so very important. This is invisible. I can't show you an x-ray of depression. I can't show you an x-ray of anxiety. But the fact of the matter is, the longer this lockdown goes on, the more vulnerable people get. And it's like there's a tipping point. There's a point at which People start having enough problems in lockdown that it will actually create more destruction and actually more death across time than the actual virus will itself. 250 people a year die from poverty. And the poverty line is getting such that more and more people are going to fall below that because the economy is crashing around us. And they're doing that because people are dying from the coronavirus. I get that. But look, the fact of the matter is we have people dying. 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents, 480,000 from cigarettes, 360,000 a year from swimming pools. But we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this. And the fallout is going to last for years because people's lives are being destroyed well for, for first of all 
this is a real a real concern. This is something that does need to be talked about, but with nuance, not beating it with a hammer like Laura Ingram is trying to do to justify ending the stay-at-home orders. Absolutely, there is, a, I would assume, a, a marketed uh, rise in, in anxiety, in depression. But if we're, if we're looking at the severity of something, death seems like the ultimate problem. The, the other things are treatable. Death is not. Well, it's just funny to hear these people all of a sudden um, feeling concerned about this, right? Like, w- when was the last time that Laura Ingram yeah. did a man on the street bit talking to people who were struggling to make ends meet in poverty and trying to figure out solutions for that, right? Other other than the time when she wanted people to get back to work and, yeah. and earn the big bucks for the CEOs. Yeah, it, I mean, it's classic Trump supporter like when people say well we shouldn't be giving them money overseas whatever because we got homeless vets oh so you want to start taking care of homeless vets now right of course not right and so yes these are all valid things but i i would have liked them to be concerned about it before now that would have been nice yeah because now it's just showing that all they care about is the economy and the stock market and that those are the primary indicators by which they live their life and have an yeah. understanding of things going well in the world. So I I understand that those things are important. But like you said, we are dealing with a situation where people's lives are on the line, not just in terms of depression, anxiety going up, addiction, all of those things, which are terrible and for sure increasing. But we also have to consider how many people are going to die as a result of the choices that are made here. And for anyone who's going on TV acting like the trade-off is simple or an easy decision to make, very straightforward, ignore those people. Very much ignore those people. I mean, that's a sign that that's just not someone to deal with or listen to whatsoever because because it's not. Especially when the person is making arguments that car accidents, we don't give a fuck about car accidents. It kills all kinds of people swimming pool deaths, cigarettes. Yeah, not communicable diseases, dipshit. You don't catch a car accident. It's not an invisible, transferable virus that you can spread to other people and have it spread to you. Mm-hmm. So it... Well, I also want to play his apology. Yeah, well, let's play that because it was like, what, 30 minutes long? <laughs> well, it was 28 minutes, he, but I only... I, I clipped a couple minutes from it. Yeah. But... And to to go back to what we were talking about, how the apology never gets the 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 the, the, the airtime, yeah, never gets the traction, never gets the eyeballs that the the original offense does. He went on Laura Ingram. Millions of people potentially saw what he said, believed what he said, and then his apology on YouTube on his own channel. When I took this audio, thirty five thousand views. My fucking dumb videos on YouTube get more than thirty five thousand views, so no one's seeing the apology. Um, <clears throat> there we go. Um, I just, of course, am doing this every day at 11 because I want to touch base with you about, uh, what's gone on overnight, the state of affairs, any developments overnight. And, uh, I seem to be part of the news and that I've gotten a lot of tug tongues wagging by comments I made last night on Laura Ingram's show. So I thought I would follow up on that. <clears throat> now, let me, I just want to be really clear and really transparent. My position 
last night, at least was intended to be the same thing that I've been saying in these chats and on shows for, I don't know, at least two weeks now. And that being said, I'm concerned that the deterioration of the mental and physical health can be substantial from enduring prolonged quarantine while also worrying about being infected with a dreaded virus in the midst of a crashing economy, lost jobs, and an inability to even feed your family. Now, I have said that depression, anxiety, loneliness, and a feeling of helplessness, among other things, can create problems that can last for years and cost lives, and that that this should not be ignored. And therefore, we need to be looking to safely, responsibly follow the science and get back to our lives as soon as possible. Now, I want to say, I don't mean that we need to just run back out there and start pretending that nothing has ever happened. I don't mean that at all. I have also said dozens of times that Robin and I 100% support the CDC guidelines of quarantine and have been following them, sheltering at home and maintaining social distancing guidelines. I've said 100% I support that we shut the country down to protect what is perhaps a small percentage of those for whom this virus is most dangerous. So it's, it's again, it's the same thing over and over again that you keep hearing. He's doing the same thing Dr. Drew did, um, trying to say that it's okay that he opines on something that he has no expertise in, as long as he also says, follow CDC yeah. guidelines, right? So he can say whatever he wants that contradicts the CDC guidelines, as long as he's also telling you to follow the CDC guidelines without specifying what those CDC guidelines are and that they actually contradict what yeah, he's saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's just... I'm I'm so sick of hearing about it. I'm so sick of these TV doctors going on and he 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 should just not even be going on these on these shows to talk. He should say, "You know what? I don't have the expertise on this issue. Why don't you give someone else a call? See if you can book Dr. Fauci." Yeah. I, I can't do it. Sorry. You know, the, the the what really as I can't fucking talk. The what really bothers me too is you're not seeing doctors go on MSNBC and CNN and then the very next day have to come out and make an apology right. with hat in hand. It's only happening on Fox News because they have a dangerous narrative that they're trying to push on the American people. Well, and that's why I brought up the criticism of CNN, particularly surrounding Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan being on there. And I said she was a doctor and I didn't watch the segment. I just because you're a doctor doesn't mean that you have expertise in this area. But hopefully in her discussions, she was able to qualify that she's not an expert in this area. And I think a lot of the focus there was what their foundation is doing to assist in the coronavirus fight, you know, maybe something like that. But what I like about Sanjay Gupta, he's a neurosurgeon by training, and he is CNN's chief medical correspondent. But what he does is he invites other experts on, right? 
when he's moving out of areas of his specialty of his specialty yeah, yeah. and areas that are not within his own expertise he invites medical specialists on to have conversations with him to give that other context because just because he's a neurosurgeon doesn't mean he understands all areas of medicine you mean he's acting responsibly right yeah <laughs> like like a physician has taken an oath to do to do no harm Weird. And I want to read a quote from him, actually. He was quoted in the Washington Post here. He says, I do feel an obligation with this story in particular. It's going to be one of the most important things that happens from a medical and health standpoint to most of us in our lifetimes. I spent a long time hopefully gaining people's trust through other reporting and other stories that I've done so that when I tell them something about this, which is honest, hopeful, but honest, that they listen. Yeah. And that's what I really like about him is he he does a really great job with reporting on scientific issues. I mean, obviously, he's intelligent, very, very intelligent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also realizes that there's times when he needs to bring in medical specialists because it's outside his own area of expertise. And we need to be elevating more people that do that. He stays. He really tries to stay in his lane, sometimes in a, a manner that frustrates me. Oh, really? Like early on when when I was in uh, northern Idaho at with Brett number 1 for the funeral, uh-huh. when all this was really starting to pick up steam. Right. He was talking about the airlines and not making declarative statements about whether or not they should be, people should be traveling because he was following the the advice and the guidelines from the CDC and they hadn't gone that far yet. And I remember screaming at the TV with Brett there and I'm like of course, fucking say it. But he doesn't, he stays in his lane. Right. He's not an alarmist. Mm-hmm. He's, like I said, even to a level that he doesn't go far enough sometimes, I think. For me, <laughs> you know, I'm like, just say it, dude. Yeah. So anyway. Tell us the answer. Well, you, yeah, that, right. But that's that impulse of that yes. certainty coming up, right? Where we crave somebody who can give us that certainty because it is a very uncertain environment. It's very scary. And we want to have people on TV who are telling us the answers. Yes, exactly. And it's a natural human impulse. I'm a dummy. I need to be told, Brittany Page. Well, it's a natural. That's why I have you around. It's a natural. <laughs> I do it too. It's a natural human impulse that we continuously need to work to check. Otherwise, we're going to elevate charlatans who make everything worse. Yes. We'd love to know what you think about this. Why didn't you play the NBC drop? Six fives. uh, You mean the more you know? Yeah. That's an NBC drop. No, it's from the more you know. Yeah, on NBC. They would play little things where... Yeah, like a PSA. Yeah, on NBC. Like, hey, turn off the stove before you go to the fucking movies. Did you know it was on NBC? Um, what network was it on, Brittany? I think it was NBC. <laughs> fucking goofball. You know, one of my favorite, one of my, this is going to be a little tangent that we go on for a second. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube videos is... It better be one of mine or there's going to be fucking trouble. Okay, I don't care about that. So, <laughs> Zach Woods went on with Conan. Oh, and talked about his favorite... Uh, YouTube videos? Yeah, I think he chose like his three favorite YouTube videos. And oh, I, the Canadian cooking one. Yes, I love Zach Woods, number one. He's hilarious. He's but Gabe from The Office. Yes, I also loved all of his selections in, in this, this YouTube video, but one of them was like these weird Canadian PSAs, and he talked about how they're just like, don't make mistakes or like, don't get into accidents. There's no real like message of control or like choosing a behavior. It's just like, be careful in life. Yeah. That, so they show, 
this is a great tangent. They show, we'll put the video on the Facebook page. Brittany will go do that right now. Yes. And they show this woman in a, like a chef's outfit and she's in a kitchen and she goes, she turns with this like giant pot of boiling water and then slips and it fucking goes up in the air and then there's like this blood curdling scream. It's horrifying. And then they show her and her makeup's been done to, you know, she's like just horribly scalded and burned. Uh, her skin is like melting off. And really, it is. It's not like, oh, put nonstick stuff on your floor. It's just be safe at work. Yeah, just be careful. Don't have an accident that was unplanned and really unavoidable. Right, life is dangerous. Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's really all we have have for today. Oh, no. I, I want to talk about Chris Cuomo. Everybody knows that we have a fondness a deep and abiding fo- fondness for Shepard Smith, formerly of the old Fox News. And he apparently has been let out of his non-compete clause of his contract. I don't know how that worked, but he's he's taking interviews right now. And there's talk, rumors, that he may get Chris Matthews' spot mm-hmm. over on the, the MSNBC but something happened this week with Chris Cuomo on his Sirius XM radio show. I don't know all these. Where do these people have a, a longer day than we have? Because how does like how does Ryan Seacrest have forty five fucking jobs? How does he get them all done? They just work harder than it's us. Fucking weird, man. I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. But uh, Chris Cuomo went on his show and was talking about how much he fucking hates his job. And Brittany sent it to me, and she's like, this is fucking weird. And I'm like, I wonder, and this is me speculating, I have no inside knowledge, but I want, and we're going to play the clip. It's real short, it's like 45 seconds. I don't know why I feel compelled to tell you how long it is. But I wondered if there is some talk about him losing his show because the ratings are down, although he just signed a multi-year contract. But I wonder if they're thinking about giving his time slot to Shepard Smith. What a dream come true. And he's pissed off about it. So anyway, listen to him talking about how much he fucking hates his job. Because I don't want to spend my time doing things that I don't think are valuable enough to me personally. Like what? Well, I don't like what I do professionally, I've decided. Um, I like doing this show. I like talking to you guys. But I don't value indulging irrationality hyperpartisanship i don't think it's worth my time and i don't want some jackass loser fat tire biker um to be able to pull over uh and get in my face and in my space and talk bullshit to me i don't want to hear it and just like you would right you you're not going to tolerate that right some cat just basically pulls up in the driveway next to yours and starts getting in your face about stuff, how, how's that going to go? How's that going to go, right? That matters to me more than making millions of dollars a year. That matters to me more. Why? Because I've saved my money. Can I fucking shit on him a little bit? How, I mean, haven't I hate, you been doing that already? I fucking hate when he asks himself the questions. I think he's asking the other person no, that he's talking to. No, no. It's him talking to himself. I don't want to do da-da-da-da. Why? Well, because 
He's asked, oh, okay. when he does that, it fucking bothers me. Well, I think also hang on one more thing. Him talking about I don't want to you know, engage with hyper partisanship. Yeah, is that why you have Kellyanne Conway on your fucking show all the time, dude? Shut the fuck up. He's also friends with our personal friends. Yes. Um, I think that part of people were sharing this clip and saying that they were using it to support their argument that CNN is biased, and that's dumb because that's not. That's clearly not what's being talked about here. Uh, in fact, he's uh, talking about what he hates about his job is having to have conversations with politicians that he can't actually nail down during these conversations, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but I think part of why he hates his job is because he can't beat people's asses in public. Yeah, he definitely thinks he's a tough guy. Doesn't it seem like that's yes. part of why he hates his job? He Some wants to be a jackass, able- fat tire biker. You know, he got um, in some trouble a few months ago because he was recorded. Someone was... They called him Fredo. And he threatened to throw a guy down the stairs. Yeah, he got in this guy's (laughs) face. So I think that's part of it, where he doesn't like that when people come up to him and harass him in public, that he can't address that issue physically. And uh, that's got to be a frustrating place for Chris Chris Cuomo to be in. Although I will say that I think it's good for him to be in a position where he is discouraged from yeah. getting into physical altercations with people. Well, listen, it, it, it coming being a guy who used to never shy away from a confrontation like that, and it's only because of the grace and intelligence of Brittany Page that I'm no longer that guy. I, um, I don't... I, I fucking get that. What do you mean? That's dumb to say. I... That's... Well, no, not only because of, but largely because of. Let's not talk in absolutes. Okay largely it's due to you and your influence even now when something goes down it's all like at politicon a couple years ago when that guy i I don't know if we talked about it on the show a guy called you a bitch well i I fucking grabbed him by the by the neck well in his defense i did make him feel very dumb (laughs) you mean when he's every time venezuela was was mentioned he was clapping like oh yeah socialism venezuela and then the thing ends and britney says to the guy so, um, who's the president of Venezuela? <laughs> and he was, uh, uh, but they, uh, but they. he had no idea because he doesn't fucking know anything about Venezuela. For the, again, He's just for the record and in his defense, I didn't just ask who the president of Venezuela was. I was like, hey, I, I saw you clapping every time Venezuela come up. You seem like Venezuela's number one fan. So who is the president of Venezuela? Do you know? <laughs> And yeah, you're right. I didn't say it in the hilarious way you said he, it. You for sure emasculated the he guy. He did not know. And it was not good for him. Yeah, and so you he walked, got mad. You like, you know, clapped your hands walking away like job well done. And he goes, <laughs> and the guy next to him says, who was that? I don't know. Some fucking dumb bitch, he said. <laughs> and I grabbed him by the back of the fucking neck and was going to squeeze his head till it popped off. And then all of a sudden people were like, whoa, whoa. I took off my jacket because I was going to murder him. And then you were like. Video cameras, video cameras, because people start whipping out their phones, and I don't want to be the next viral fucking sensation. Well, and yes, so... And also because it's stupid. I didn't need to beat that guy's there, ass. Exactly. You know, also, he called, he didn't call you a bitch, he called me a bitch, yeah, and listen. I... But, but, but no, you listen, because, <laughs> because, What's listen, happening? no, just the other day, and this happened just the other day, I, I was in a little bit of a mix-up on Facebook, haven't done it for a while, but it happened, all right, relax, and uh, <laughs> this guy starts talking about how I should, like, get back to Instagram, it's missing me, right? Like, talking about how I'm... He's, he's one of these capital protester people. But he's making 
making a comment about how he went to my profile, saw my pictures, like, you know, took screenshots of my profile and came away with with the idea that because I'm blonde, I'm vapid. Right. So this happens quite often. I'm used to these kinds of comments from men who get upset and they either go to the bitch or they go to the vapid and talk about the Instagram. You know, I like I post pictures of my cheeseburgers on Instagram. I'm not like an Instagram influencer. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but it, it, it doesn't. You're not a podcast influencer, Brittany Page. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't bother me because I know that their reactions are about how they feel less than. Yeah, I, I know that. What yeah. I'm saying is my natural thing is to get my, my, my hackles up. And react rather than think about it. Like when this guy did the bullshit on the Facebook yesterday, I didn't, I didn't even feel compelled to call him a an incel fucking cunt like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that guy's a fucking insecure little freak. And that's really what it comes down to, right? I think that that helps, and I understand the tendency because. I was raised in a family, you know. That's how you handle problems. Right, that's how you handle problems. And it wasn't just my dad who handled problems like that. That's how my mom handled problems, right? Right in the grocery checkout line. That happened. And so, <laughs> you know, I I get the impulse for sure. I was encouraged to be like that as a kid as well. I mean, we yeah. were taught how to fight and and it was that was a, a, definitely an option when it came to solving problems. So, I, I get it, but Coming back to Chris Chris Cuomo, he's a professional person. Oh yeah, we were talking about Chris Cuomo. Yeah, coming, he's a professional person, and he shouldn't, regardless of his job, right, or how much money he has, or whether he can continue to make a living. You can't be a person out in public who solves your problems by beating yeah. everyone's ass because they, you know, slight you. Well, I equate it to this. Well, we're off on an awesome tangent right now. I equate it to this. Like, if you ever see a, a situation go down in a restaurant where a customer is angry, yeah, you even that person might be justified in the th- in the thing they're complaining about. But if they're acting uh, aggressive, you never think, "Oh, that guy has a point there." You think that guy is an asshole right now. You never think positively about the person who's handling business in an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. And I, that's something I have to really try to embody. Not anymore. I don't really have to do it anymore because it's kind of become part of the deal with right. me that I don't automatically want to fucking pop somebody's head off their neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's something I take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm uh, I'm going to put an end to this and the show because I think I hear podcatchers sh- flipping off uh, turning themselves off all over the, all over the world because we're rambling like uh, people who ramble. Yeah, for sure. We'd love to hear from you. Rambling notwithstanding, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos as well as old-fashioned emails to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We'd love to have you consider supporting the show on Patreon. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or Team Dollamore. There you can find all the details on how to su- support and help produce the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. And this has been I Doubt.